Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Mad Podcast, the mental awareness discussion, brought to you always by Broken Drift Productions and Banana Bros. Uh, I have a Banana Bros mug right here. There we go. You might not be able to see it too well, but there it is. Banana Bros mug. Get your swag at AZ Banana Bros on Instagram. Follow us on all the social medias, all that fun stuff. My name is Miles Weber. With me, as always, is my co-host in this podcast and my co-host in life, my lovely wife, Heather Weber. Hello, dear. How are you? I'm great. How are you? fantastic because we are very excited about our guest tonight uh very very cool guy he's the author of the book the theater of the mind a breakthrough treatment for overcoming ptsd phobia and trauma we have mr daniel abella with us tonight daniel how you doing man thanks for being here great great thanks having a great time here absolutely we are gonna have a great time it's gonna be wonderful we're gonna have such a great time talking about ptsd let's do this so it's gonna be perfect um so why don't you give people a little bit of backstory about yourself and uh what you know about this area leading up to this book being written okay so a little bit about myself i uh graduated uh i went to uh here the yeah, columbia university here in new york city uh, a long time ago and i graduated with a, a, a degree in, in um, biochemistry and i uh in the, my last year there i took a lot of courses in psychology and i was truly at that time very intrigued by the way they mo- the, the, the the current models of the mind mostly at that time was freudian or Jungian or atlerian uh, and Russian uh, psychology. After I graduated, I uh, moved to San Francisco where I worked for a couple of years for a few startups, biotech startups. Like that's how, that tells you how long that long was. It was before the internet. And uh, I did okay, but I felt it was more about glorified lab technician than anything else. So I returned back to New York City and uh, started focusing more on the marketing and sales and uh, started working on Wall Street, where I, I used my background in physics and biochemistry to build to help build financial models. Um, back in the late 80s, early 90s, there were a lot of different models that were used to predict uh, the, the rise of stocks, ups and downs. They still use them today. Uh, during the course, I ran to some friends of mine who had gone with were veterans, and they were suffering. This is my first time I heard about them, I spoke to them about PTSD. And they told me about they were having all sorts of issues from not, unable to sleep at night, to blackouts, to uh, these, these enormous, these rages and, and so forth. So I was, I was wondering what, how, how to treat that. So at that time, there weren't too many modalities to deal with PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. And, uh, and I was kind of uh, puzzled because here we are, we're able to build financial models, weather storm models, physics models, mathematical models, and yet there's no real model in existence that can help people understand and even prevent PTSD. By model, I mean it's a series of specific instructions and algorithms that, that can project a certain outcome. So for instance, when we use mo- weather models can tell us with a certain degree of probability uh, whether a storm will be coming in or not, and the same for financial models. But there was nothing in terms of the, in the world of psychology. It was fairly dry. So I, I felt this was really uh, unfortunate. I, I um, started studying uh, a series of different modalities at that time that attempted to build a model of the human mind 
See, we are led to believe that the human mind is some sort of amorphous, passive vessel upon which information just goes in and somehow it's calculated or organized. But like everything else, we found out very quickly that there is a, there's a method to how we organize memories and information and so on. So I started exploring these uh, disciplines. One of them was somatic therapy. Another one was Feldenkrais which is a, uh, a kind of body, body work therapy. Another one was uh, neurolinguistics. And from there, I came up with, I basically picked the best of each one of them. And I started applying these processes to some of my friends. Uh, and uh, I, no I noticed within a couple of sessions, it started feeling much better. And I, I, I only handled maybe, a, maybe 50 or 60 of them or so. And I continued my practice. I kind of switched from building phys models in physics and in, uh, in, in, in economics to really working more with people because I, the mind is truly, I would say, is the final frontier. It's really the one place that is yet to be fully explored. Uh, so fast forward 9-11, you know, hit, I'm living here in New York. Um, me, like, with, like millions of other New Yorkers, got hit and the rest of the country. So all of a sudden I start hearing from others that they're having these same symptoms, even though they didn't live in New York City. They lived 5,000 miles away, 3,000 miles away. I myself started coming out with some unusual, I couldn't sleep at night, had uh, tremors, I had, and I was wondering what is going on. So it, it occurred to me that even though I was not at the site of the accident, I had developed a mild case of PTSD, just like those 3,000 miles away. And luckily, I was able to resolve it with the help of another programmer. And we, I was basically able to uh, flatline that, that process. But it got me thinking about the nature of PTSD. So how is it possible that we could, by watching an event 3,000 miles, we could develop PTSD? Because most of the time, by definition, PTSD is, is a strong emotional uh, um, experience that is generally in close proximity. It takes place in close proximity to the actual nature of the accident. Let's say you get in a car crash or someone assaults you or you go to war and get shot. But watching it on TV? So, and then I remember a movie that came out in 19, I believe 1977 called Jaws. I don't know how many of you have seen it by oh, Steven yeah. Spielberg. And shortly at that t after that time, I remember reading in the newspaper that a lot of people started developing a fear of going into the water, of swimming, even though they had never had a problem with, with had no encounters with sharks. So based upon these different pieces of information, I get I started developing a kind of an, uh, an overarching uh, th theory for how PTSD is, uh, is, is installed, essentially. And in a nutshell, it basically works because our mind in a way works like, it's almost like a reflection of, of the current technology of the time. So uh, let's say we are, we, in, today's, in today's work, we use, use a lot of technologies like the cell phone, Snapchat, and Facebook. So we become very, very strongly visual creatures. And the reason these systems do so, impact our nervous system so much, is because they are very much uh, a line, there is a strong affinity between the technology that's used today 
and how our memories are retrieved and organized. Now that changes from generation to generation. I want to backtrack to, let's say, uh, the, the beginning of uh, in, in early 1900s when Thomas Edison showed his first, I think it was his first motion, first uh, pic uh, picture, it's called the Great Train Robbery. And, it, and at that time, people were not even familiar with uh, motion pictures. So when they saw this big train r rushing towards them on the big screen, they actually ran out of the theater, thinking that there was actually a train that was about to hit him. 1948, I believe, was the, the War of the Worlds radio. Uh, H.G. Uh, George um, Orson Welles presents that broadcast. Again, it was panic. So I started to develop an overarching idea that every metaphor of the age reflects the underlying system of how we organize our thoughts and memories. So the current metaphor, the current age we're living is technology-based. It's based upon pulsed visual images. And that's why, for instance, you could go and watch Jaws and develop, potentially develop a fear of going to the water. But if you show that same movie to a, uh, a Papua New Guinea, a New Guinea um, um, native who's not even familiar with films, he may not react at all to it. So the way we organize data or information can pretty much tell us whether or not we might be able to, we might get or, or not PTSD. Now, the, the work that I'm work uh, that I'm basing this is on the work of Richard Bandler and John Grinder. And what they did is they asked people who had PTSD and recovered, what did they do in their, with, in their own minds? First, and they also asked the people who still had PTSD. And they found out certain specific differences in the way they organized the experience and the, and the, and the use of visual terminology. For instance, people who were, uh, who were still who had recovered from PTSD would use expressions such as, well, the image is behind me, or I'm, f I'm far away. People who are still experiencing PTSD were using imagery such as, the image is just all around me. I'm in the experience. So based upon these distinctions, uh, I, uh, they develop a series of algorithms that could help someone recover from basic PTSD within 24 hours. And I was shocked when I first heard that, but I went to see their demonstration and they handled someone who, for instance, who had a fear of uh, swimming and they removed the phobia in, 20, in, in, in one hour. And I personally, since then, I've worked with hundreds of people who had basic PTSD. By basic PTSD, is PTSD that is created by one single experience, not a complex PTSD, which generally was, it's, it has to do with abuse and a history of neglect that's a little bit more difficult but basic PTSD I can work with and generally these the patient will see uh, relief within less than 20 less than 24 hours within one session uh, for instance I work with a young woman who had uh, who lived during the Sarajevo bombing back in 1995 or so and the way I knew she was she had something is and every time I made a, a presentation she would interrupt and every time there was an, a, a fire alarm that would an ambulance that would 
uh, pass by, she would get up and leave the, the, the workshop. So during the lunch hour, I asked her what, 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 what was the matter, and she explained to me. So I sat with her for 30 minutes, and I did a basic process. Now, the, the usual process takes over a couple of hours, but I did one, an abbreviated one, which is about 45 minutes. And I noticed that after the process, she didn't interrupt. She was a lot more calm and a lot and self more centered. In fact, a few months later, when I spoke to her again, she came to one of my other workshops. She was fine. Not that she still had other challenges and issues because she was still, she had lived during the bombing, but at least that knee-jerk reaction that you often get with PTSD people, like you hear a bomb and then they drop to the floor or they run away, that was a manifest. So um, the book, I decided during, the, during this pandemic, I, I got to write down all these findings because I've, this, process, this technique has been, around, has been used on and off for the last 20, 25 years. I didn't develop it. And, but I figured, well, the whole world, a lot of people can use it. And it occurred to me that I think that what's missing is an overarching framework to explain why it works or how it works. So I can tell you to, tomorrow, um, do this, jump uh, three steps, and then you'll, uh, you'll see this result. And a lot of people will say, well, what's the reason? How do you explain it? So the, the book is an attempt to, to connect our evolving cultural landscape with what's going on inside our own mind. So I call it the theater of the mind because in, in, it is like we have, it's like we're directors of our own future. And most of the time we're running films or memories that are, that we can rearrange. Do you remember the movie Inception, for instance? Mm. Yes, that yeah, came out yeah. a few years ago. Uh, so the, the idea of Inception is that the unconscious or the dream world has an architecture. Well, guess what? that we also have an architecture to our conscious way of living uh, a lot. And this is not something that I've, um, uh, that I've, I've seen across the board. For instance, Napoleon was asked how to, he was the, the, the military leader, Emperor France, asked how does he remember so much detail? And he described it in detail. He said, inside my mind, I have file cabinets with many, many folders. And when I want to pick up the information, anyone's strategy, I'll go, I'll open up the file cabinet and I'll pick the folder that I need uh, for that information. So that might sound like a metaphorical or poetic, but it's no, this is exactly how he, his mind was organized. So I think even though the book is about PTSD, it opens up the possibility that within our minds lie a lot of uh, unbounded uh, possibilities for expanding it and for using it for for you know very positive uh, purposes. Nicholas T Nikola Tesla, for instance, while Edison was actually hammering and building the uh, light bulb, he would actually create an engine inside his own mind, turn it on, and see if it worked. And so there, are, the book it ends with a very positive affirmation about what's possible. So PTSD is sort of an over excess of data that gets stuck in our in the amygdala, basically. And it's not able, that memory is not able to be processed to our hippocampus. So the process that I outline enables, removes that, that kind of, um, that, that jam, that traffic jam of data that's stuck there. 
it removes it. So the person is able to remember the experience, but they've got much more perspective on the um, on what happened to them. Okay. So it sounds like you're kind of uh, teaching them a way of removing themselves from the trauma and that situation that's playing in their head and to kind of look at it as an objective viewer as opposed exactly. to being into it. And, and that you're saying really does a lot to calm a person. Well, yeah, well, think about this. I mean, let's do, uh, think about something that you like doing. Let's say, oh, let's say, think about your favorite food for right now, your, your, your favorite snack. Just mm -hmm. think about it for a second, all right? And if you take that image, and, right? And tell me how, how big is the image that you, as, as you're thinking about it. Just show me with your hands. How big is it? Not that big. That okay, so just take that image right now and just blow it up. So it's the size of your whole room right now. And just blow it up inside your mind, not just don't, how does that feel, right? It feels different. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, we kind of do the opposite in PTSD with one minor difference. In the theater of the mind approach, what we do is you are the projectionist watching yourself watch a movie of the experience because it is called double dissociation so you're watching yourself watch a movie and what that does that creates another degree of separation uh, that the observer will have from the experience and that's essential for ptsd because there is such a powerful emotional charge associated with that experience that the person ends up jumping back into the experience that is it's almost like if it's happening right now even though it might have happened five years ago or 10 years ago so that's how memories are treated and um we, and we treat them and, and it, fa it works fairly well um again it comp uh, it works well with phobias it works well with basic ptsd uh it makes with complex ptsd that definitely makes some inroads but there's more work to be done in those cases for sure that yeah, makes it, yeah in addition to like therapy or something like that this would really be something good to go hand in hand um is this something that you get do you have to get a person into a meditative state to coach them through this is it something just directly one-on-one -on -one you do is it like a coaching like what style is it okay so generally with uh when when i when i do uh, work with PTSD with the, this, this process called the VK dissociation technique or the rewind therapy, which is used extensively in the UK. Mm -hmm. uh, I will generally sit with a person and have them, I, I will spend maybe like five or 10 minutes, have them calm down, find a spot in their center, uh, I'm sorry, a, a spot in their body where they feel centered, where they feel safe, mm -hmm. or they feel peaceful. And, and, and literally place their hand there and stay in that spot. And then as they are in that spot, once I see they're in that center spot, I have through a, a process of a, a close, out, close eye imagery. I, I imagine they're walking into a theater and this, the marquee is their, is, their, is their name. They're going to the theater of their own mind. So I have them sit down and then I have them float and they go to the balcony where they're, they're going to about to watch themselves watch a movie. And that movie is going to be about that experience. So every step of the way, I'm there making sure they're staying grounded and present. So they're able to watch the movie 
from a third person perspective rather than from a first person, which is what happens when they go into the PTSD charge. And I run the movie very quickly and then run it backwards. And what this does uh, neurologically, it kind of, it, it cancels the charge uh, uh, of, of the actual experience. So they're watching themselves watch a movie. So here's the movie, this is themselves, and there they are. So I'm there with them. Uh, so it, it, it works fairly well. It's essential that someone be there. So I, I don't advise anyone to apply this technique of themselves. Mm -hmm. I don't think anything bad is going to come out of it. it may, they may just go into loops. Mm -hmm. uh, however, uh, I do in the book add, have exercises where they can begin to practice the other exercises to create to really un understand how their mind works how they're able to take for example a bad feeling and throw it away into the in, into the distance where it becomes small they barely see it or hear it so there are the whole idea is that you most of traditional psychology was based upon people feeling how people get uh, broken or sick people this is how people recover the focus here, how do you recover? How do you recover from PTSD? How do you recover from abuse? How do you recover? By recovering, meaning you still have the memory, but it doesn't destroy your life. It doesn't limit you. And, mm -hmm. and there are certain cognitive differences between the two uh, that can be accounted for and then can be taught to someone else. Um, so they can begin the process of recovery. Uh, the, Would you say that some of those processes are centrally based in some form of cognitive behavioral therapy? Because I know that I read that you had a background in that. How, is right, right. Is that, is that? Cognitive behavioral is the first step. Mm -hmm. See, cognitive behavioral therapy is primarily uh, the neocortex. Mm -hmm. But what, what is the most, re most recently developed part of our brain is like we, we can look at a, a belief system. Uh, let's say... Um, um, I, I'm a poor learner. I, I can't learn, say, Russian, for instance. And through cognitive behavioral therapy, you, you start challenging the person's belief system. And at some point or another, they'll begin to wonder whether or not they are, whether or not that's true. You cast doubt on that by using counterexamples. The problem with PTSD is that the, all the process takes place at the subcortical level. Uh, not at the court, by, by, at the, at the, at the rational level, the information is already being accessed emotionally before we even think about it. So the idea is by the time the person has is into that PTSD state, they can't access the solution. So the key is to a process that will enable them to, uh, remove that, the, the, the charge of that memory without cognitive therapy. So I don't ask him, well, what, what is the, what do you, what do you think might be the cause of PTSD? We know they have it. And I just want to know when it started and when it ends. It's like a piece of, of, of tape that we need to clear out so the person can move on with their lives. So, um, but it kind of behavioral therapy works afterwards because so, there, with some veterans, I, uh, they have, they still have experience of guilt and, and grief. 
And this where cognitive behavioral therapy comes in. What could you have done? Are you uh, are you sure this 100% responsible for your for his death, or perhaps he was responsible too? So this kind of dialogue is very useful, but it's very important at the very beginning to remove the emotional charge of the PTSD experience, because that keeps that prevents a person from accessing his uh, higher cortical um, faculties. Okay. How has um, the mental health community like received your book since it's come out? Like, have you talked to a lot of other like psychiatrists or therapists or anything like that? How has it been received? Well, we had so far, we've had a few uh, podcasts and, and the reception has been very positive. Uh, I think a lot of it is about awareness mm -hmm. and, and it's raising awareness. You see, in England, there is a technique called the rewind therapy, which is basically a rewording of the VK dissociation process. And it, this was introduced by Dr. Uh, David Muss, M-U-S-S, in uh, the Journal of Clinical Psychiatry, Psychology. And it, and it works. Here in the US, for some reason, there are other techniques that have come forward and there's kind of dominating the, the play field, uh, such as EMDR, mindful meditation, and they're fine. But each one of them has its challenges. Say EMDR, which people love to quote, uh, you're still going to have that experience coming back in terms of a trigger. So some e EMDR might work with one person. It may not work with the other, depending all on the therapist. So this technique enables a person to, regardless of the therapist or the uh, provider, to have them run the process internally. But the, it's a little early to tell, but I think that a lot of it has to be uh, awareness mm -hmm. and, and, and connecting the dots. Uh, um, I spoke to a uh, psychiatrist recently who was uh, quoting EMDR, and she also quoted uh, neurolinguistics. And I mentioned to her that the person who developed EMDR used to work with one of the co-developers of neurolinguistics. Uh, Francine Shapiro is the one who developed it. She recently passed away, but uh, she, um, so it's possible there may have been some kind of osmosis and because in, in, we have a, a process called eye integration, where you basically think of a, of a thought and then you follow my finger. And at some point there's a decoupling between the emotion and the, because the, remember, you ever heard the expression of fixe in, in French, a fixed it's almost like the eye image is not only fixed uh, physically, it's, it's fi it fixed neurologically. So the minute you start thinking of anything that's negative or that's uh, uh, challenging, and you move that image around, at some point you're going to decouple the charge from the image. And you'll be able to think of the experience more freely. I'm not saying none of, none of this is, especially with people with trauma, it's a challenge, but it's a step in the right direction. And, it, and I think what we need to give everybody is this feeling of hope, because a lot of us are stuck, especially now during the pandemic, uh, I've seen a massive rise in, in, in mental health issues. Uh, and I'm afraid that what happened, say, to many in 9-11, is multiplied by a thousand or a million during the pandemic, because many people were just glued to their television, their computers, watching every people die every day, every day, what's going to happen, what's going to happen. Well, guess what? That 
creates a loop in the person's mind. And at some point that loop doesn't go away. You think, well, maybe tomorrow I'll feel better, but no, no, now it's stuck. You've, you've, you've built something, now you have to remove it very through, through a series of techniques. Just like a phobia, you can't, once you get it, you can't just think it away. You yeah. can, it's kind of hard to get rid of a phobia if you just have it, a real phobia. Um, I had a friend who was, uh, uh, he had a, a fear of snakes and he, he had a family and he would, um, they wanted to go Harry, to, to, to see Harry Potter. And I think in one of those uh, episodes, in one of those installments, there's, uh, there's snakes. I'm not oh. sure which three or four. <laughs> I mean, they, they pop up in all of them. The second oh, one is the worst well, though. He, yeah, yeah, the second one's the worst one. With the snakes. worst one. So he couldn't sit through them. He cannot oh, yeah. sit. So uh, I wanted to test it, see if it's true. So I accidentally, I went ahead, I pulled, I, pulled, I grabbed my phone, I showed him a picture of, uh, of a uh, cobra. And his reaction was so quick. I said, okay, he's got a, he's got a phobia. So I did the process. Uh, took me about 15 minutes. And then afterwards, almost in a childish, look, I showed him the picture again. And he said, oh, snake. And so a lot of that charge had been diffused. Mm-hmm. So the key is to do it many times uh, with the patient or with the client until the, it decouples the phobia. Um, Basic now people have uh, some people ask me what about fear of public speaking that's not really a phobia per se that's more anxiety that's built to a crescendo and there are other techniques for dealing with that but um, in general I find this process I think a lot of more a lot more people really need to know about it that's why I wrote the book mm-hmm. because um, it's there's there are currently many there are obviously many attempts to deal with the PTSD challenge you've got everything from uh, the, the government, uh, recently the FDA approved a clinical trial for, for the use of MDMA, uh, and, but the, my question with all these trials is how you go, you're going to have millions of people hooked on MDMA or give a lot of them may not want to take MDMA and, and, and taking MDMA is not just a one shot process. You have to go there. You got to be interviewed by the, by the provider. And there's a follow-up of two or three sessions. Mm-hmm. And I think the problem is, is structure. I mean, and I have a friend who, who had a friend who's a Marine. And he uh, was told that he had to wait two months to see a counselor. And the next day, he decided that was, that was unacceptable. He just shot himself. And that happens every day. Mm-hmm. A lot of our vets, you know, they're, they're going through hell. And, 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 and first responders, too. And, and, and you know, of course, the general population. So this offers a, a, an opportunity for something that can be learned and applied in a, in a safe way that, uh, that we can all benefit from. And, um, and, and I would say, you know, back in the 80s and the early 90s, there was this talk about, well, those video games, they're going to make kids violent. And, 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 but, you know, it's not the video games. that Because by the pre-frame of a video game that is a game, it's not real. What, what is traumatizing people for real are all, all this nonstop footage of violence, whether it be uh, in terms of uh, people dying or, uh, or shootouts, that we can see graphic violence. On, so, and I also want to add one other thing that PTSD is not necessarily a dramatic expression. It could be, you can also have hypoarousal 
which you your whole the whole world is has there's no affect you feel like there's no um you get no emotion because you have there you, you essentially have overwhelmed the amygdala and it, and it reacts differently from the traditional ways so people who are severely dissociated will look at an extremely violent snuff type film and just say yeah but it, that's not a good sign in my book that means that their emotion they're not in touch with those emotions and sooner or later something is going to come up mm -hmm. so i would say this technique enables us to i mean the, the natural reaction towards violence especially graphic violence is revulsion mm -hmm. move away and yeah people say, yeah i see that and get into it and it, there is something there that we are overlooking that's very critical about how we processing information and i'd say sooner or later it's going to come out so the, the purpose of the book is to essentially summarize some of the uh, some of my findings and some of and it's, there's heavily footnoted. I got a lot of writers and scientists who are supporting this, but it's not until we start applying it and have more double blind double blind trials that we can uh, start applying systematically across the population. The fact is right now. The two evidence-based procedures used for the treatment of PTSD are exposure therapy and cognitive behavioral therapy. Those are the two main ones. And unfortunately, with exposure therapy, more than 40% of the vets don't, re don't come back after one session. Mm -hmm. They just can't, they freak out. Mm -hmm. the, the last thing you want is to have somebody repeat or re- live that experience they're doing it every day so in exposure therapy they'll just have you repeat a portion of it slowly desensitization but sometimes that's that's too much and cognitive behavioral therapy it may it doesn't work for other reasons so this may be a, an alternative that can be learned uh can be learned in the afternoon and, and it's, of course it's got to be done uh in the right context mm -hmm. and the person there has to be good rapport between the um, between the therapist and the client. Uh, a, a lot of people sometimes say, yeah, I'm running the movie, I'm running the movie, and they're not running the movie. They're just going along, they're complying. So you gotta be, you gotta backtrack and slow it down and, and, and really explain to them it's important to, to do that in their own mind. And there are certain telltale signs for you to uh, tell if the person is running the movie, for instance, Generally, if they see if they're running their own movie inside their mind, their neck will run will literally jerk backwards. That's an indication. That's a nonverbal behavior that the person is doing, or, or they're squinting, or there other there's other movement. So there are telltale signs that we can. Uh, and I, I go into detail in the book on how to how to um, use that to uh, help the patient along. Now, there's always going to be a certain compliance element. And dealing with people who are um, who are who feel an issue, and and I I want to add one thing. This is a very important part of the book, which I I failed to mention is that back in two thousand and eighteen, I organized a a festival, and at the basically one of the pieces of the festival was a play called Timothy X's Journey from PTSD to Wellness. So in the play, which I wrote, I play the therapist and I have a uh, client, I have an actor play a client. And 
the process of the play itself is the process that I usually do with my patients. But what I found out afterwards that people um, came to me after the play and say, you know, I don't know what happened, but I feel much, I had some experiences in my life and I still, I feel much better. So I started wondering what my, what other phenomena might yet to be explored here because the technique was, and what it occurred to me is if, if the person, if the uh, audience identify themselves with the character, with the hero or the, or the client, mm-hmm. they might have ran the same process in their own mind as they as if I was with them over there on stage. And uh, which is to think about a lot of movies when, when we watch, we identify usually with the hero and the hero's journey is our journey. So there's so sometimes we cry, sometimes we moat, sometimes we feel exhilarated. That's because we are that person at that moment. So it occurred me, it occurred to me that perhaps by introducing these techniques within a narrative live action structure, we might be able to help many instead of one at a time. You know, and uh, so that's I, I usually I, I save that piece generally for the last part of the book. So. Uh, because the only way we're going to help mil- so many millions of people is not by drugging them, but really by introducing large-scale um, transformations. Right now, the media is just all about fear-mongering. It's about f- making us feel small and powerless and 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 so on. And, and I think the media has to own up and start thinking, perhaps we, it's not about just entertaining people. It's about making them feel good not telling them good stories, but stories that they can relate to, mm-hmm. they can really feel well as a result. And the media has, has fallen short in that respect. Um, mainly it's easier to sell fear than hope. So that's unfortunate. Yeah. But in fact, yeah, especially in this day and age with the, uh, with the pandemic going on, I'm very worried because there are million, there literally are millions of people who are, who are experiencing some trauma. Yeah. Generally it could be like, no, can't sleep at night. I wake up at three in the morning. I'm trembling. I have tremors. I, I, I black. That's basic PTSD right there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think you said it uh, a little while ago, something to be said about what we all went through with the pandemic and everything last year, just being kind of locked in and, and the media was very guilty of causing a lot of trauma. I mean, the, the, the constant changing of things and all the stuff that was going on as a result of, you know, just a trickle down effect of, everything that's been happening for a long time. So yeah, we were all just kind of like, it's, it's become worry porn at this point, yeah. I think just unfortunately. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's interesting. I think it's going to be interesting to see what different types of like, you're talking about the spectrum of PTSD, you know, basic PTSD. So it's just like, there's going to be different levels of this. And we already are seeing this so much where it's just like, yeah, we, we probably shouldn't have just like opened everything back up and pretended that we didn't turn the world off for a year. This is a very stressful and oh, yeah, traumatic yeah. thing that we all just went through. It's very, I, I always found it interesting that in the beginning of the pandemic, before we didn't know anything about COVID, what occurred, what struck me is that there was virtually no, no uh, information on how to stay healthy. Mm-hmm. That is vitamin D, vitamin C, vitamin E, uh, zinc. That was before, now everybody talks about it. It's almost like a mantra, but in the very beginning. And how, for instance, better to be in shape than out of shape. Because unfortunately, 
80 to 90% of the people who are end up hospitalized and dying are also severely overweight. So this could have been, this could have been a moment that the administration could have said, you know, guys, we all got to get in shape. Now, it may be kind of weird, but it would have empowered people. Say, what can I do with my life? What can I do right now besides just watching this, this barrage of negativity? For instance, I actually decided to go in the opposite direction during the COVID. When I had during the lockdowns, I was staying at home. I was eating really healthy, not because I wanted to prove anything. I just felt this gives me a purpose, a mission, a, a goal. Unfortunately, what, I, what I've read is that a lot of people actually ended up putting on weight. 20, 30 pounds, oh, yeah. you know, watching TV and then just gobbling up sugar. Well, that's what's going to happen. So that's just part of the fear, fear porn, the fear mongering that's going on. Mm-hmm. And um, it's not, it's, it's like, it's funny how they like to blame oh, a few notable broadcasters, but it's everybody's involved in that. Everybody. Mm-hmm. That's why people, that's why this country is so polarized right now. I don't think it's just because the ideological differences between one party or another. I think underneath that, there's a lot of unresolved trauma and pain and sadness and anger to different stages of grief that is not, hasn't been processed. We've never been so uh, at odds with each other. And I think that re- that's reflected of the underlying emotional substrate, the, the pain that so many people are going through. A lot of people could not even see their relatives. I mean, they couldn't see their parents or their, their uh, they saw them across, say, um, a screen. I mean, they were they, they were unable to mourn for their relatives because they were far away. Oh, you can't go there. You, you know, that's that's going to be with some people for a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, my concern in this uh, that is that it will be brushed under the rug, swept under the rug. Uh, oh well, mental. Well, they're just sick, and that's it. But that's. Uh, and then you wonder why people are acting the, as crazy as they are. Many of them, not everybody, but you know, many of them are really acting because they're they're still in a kind of a trance, mm-hmm. in a COVID trance. So empowering ourselves is the way to move forward. And, and critical thinking and really understanding that the nature of illness is not a, usually a single cause, and a, especially PTSD is generally related to them very specific conditions. So. And uh, how we organize our experience uh, can tell us a lot about how we organize our future, organize our past. So there's a lot of freedom that comes from that. Yeah. And uh, in one of the chapters in the book, I, I sp- spent some time with some of the main central themes of the of philosophers and writers and mystics and poets. And they're all talking about the same thing, that our mind is not a passive vessel. Our mind is a place where we can create and build worlds upon worlds and, and thereby make our life that much, much richer, much more, uh, you know, with more possibilities. Not just a passive vessel we just take and consume information, but take that information and build. Like Inception, you're building an architecture. You're building something, a universe within a universe. Uh, you want to be able to remember better. You can start doing that. You you want to be able to remember names or faces, have more intense experiences. Uh, I recently had a friend whose uh, whose sister's uh, 
whose sister's uh, husband passed away. So I sent a video to her to how to how to deal with the grief process. The grief process is also a specific process that it doesn't doesn't just take place emotionally, but also takes place cognitively. When we say we we were able to just let go and move on with our lives, there's a very specific cognitive sequence to that. In the yeah. in addition to our emotional uh, connection, yeah. so. Um, and I, at the end, I, I, I generally finish with, look, if, if you find someone that has recovered from something that is quote unquote miraculous, ask them, how did they do it? Bernie Siegel was uh, years ago, he's a writer and years ago, he uh, was diagnosed with cancer. And he claimed that by watching endless reruns of the, of the Three Stooges for three months in a row, he, he started his, his whole body chemistry started to change and he he claims that that helped him carl simonton um advocated the use of visualization to help fight cancer cells you know ward off cancer cells so there are many things we can do mentally that our body remember our body and our minds are really one to just different aspects of who we are so there are ways we can begin communicating with our body and our mind and a body wants to get health. Uh, a body wants to get healthy. Wants to get better. And when we, those who have PTSD, they want, it's like a broken record. So you want to get back to your. There's a broken piece. So you want to get back to it, and it's stuck again. You're stuck. It's like PTSD. So it, it, what we do in PTSD therapy, we kind of mend that piece. So you're able to now go through the whole cycle. Yeah. Well. Um, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I think, uh, I think we've definitely learned a lot about different types of PTSD over the last few episodes of this podcast. I mean, we've gone well into the depths of it, but it's really exciting that folks like yourself are writing these types of books and trying to present this type of information to the masses. So that way we can, like you said, we got to start trying anything and everything we can here. And it's exciting, at least that we are living in a time where this discussion is becoming more of a forefront tool conversation because we can't just brush it under the rug. Mental health has to be something that we really prioritize globally, just as, as a people, mental health is so, so important. So we appreciate you coming on the podcast today. This was super duper informative. Uh, why don't you let folks know where they can find you online and where they can find this book? Okay. So the best way is just to go directly to our website yeah. and it's a, uh... And I'll just spell it out is nynlpinstitute.com. And there that will take you right to the homepage. And there is the book and they, they can get it online and uh, workshops and other stuff that we do. Uh, more, the most important thing is that people begin to realize that they're, they can take charge of their lives. This is not just a new age platitude, but it's something real. But it starts with a single step, baby steps. So I, 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 I usually instruct I, all my clients to say, listen, you, your PTSD might be better today, but every day you got to do this every day because every day you just get better and better and better. It's just like you can't, you don't learn karate in one day or jujitsu, right? You don't learn meditation in one day. It's, it's a lifelong but very rewarding process because you get to understand who you are. So it's not just about PTSD. It's about what can I do with my mind? become that writer I want to reveal or that poet or that scientist or that novelist. And it's never too late to start. So we're opening the doors to our probably our most uh, valued treasure. Uh, 
So um, I urge anyone who is uh, thinking, well, this is not, I'm hopeless not to think like that because the mind has a structure and we're beginning to understand how that structure works. And it's, that structure is related to how we interact with reality. So as we move into the metaverse, you know, supposedly, who knows, in a few years, the therapy will be more virtual, we will be using more virtual reality jargon. But until then, mind is, the theater of the mind is a good way to go. For sure. It's a good well, step forward. So much. Well, thank you uh, for uh, allowing me to share in detail with yes. this. Um, let me know as soon as the podcast is available so I can post it on our, on our site. Absolutely. 100%. We most definitely will. And thank you, everybody, for watching and listening. We appreciate it. Make sure you follow me at Miles Over Joker on all the social media and follow us at Mad Podcast on Instagram. So that way you can talk with Heather on there, who's always running that one. So uh, my name is Miles Weber. Thank you so much for watching and listening. We'll see you next time. Bye, everybody.